What's going on, everybody, and welcome in to this edition of B-Shape Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the early morning hours of Sunday, August 6, 2023. How about that, Stephen Matz, Cardinals fans, huh? Maybe uh, maybe change his name to Cy Steven, something like that. With the way that Stephen Matz is going right now for St. Louis, welcome into the show, where tonight we'll be talking about the Cardinals' 6-2 win over the Rockies from Saturday. And the big storyline beginning to emerge, or continuing to emerge, really, has been the recent performance of Stephen Matz. Since his return to the Cardinals' rotation, the Redbirds are 5-1 and one in games started by Matz, and now he has racked up three consecutive decisions that have all gone down as a W that after starting the season 0-7. So what do we make of this new look for Stephen Matz? What do we attribute the success to and how it contrasts from what we saw earlier in the year from him, from what we saw, honestly, last year from Stephen Matz as well? What do Ollie Marmel and Stephen Matz and, and maybe even Wilson Contreras contribute to the differences that we're seeing in this left-handed pitcher We've known the Cardinals are going to basically, by default, have to include Steven Matz in next year's rotation, but maybe that's not a prospect that's necessarily as concerning as it once seemed. Talking some Steven Matz tonight on the show, because he has looked really, really strong for the Cardinals of late, and the bats were good too on Saturday, so we'll give you a rundown on what things looked like from that perspective here on B-Shape Daily, the Daily Cardinals podcast, spoken into existence by yours truly, Brendan Schaefer. Cardinals writer for KMOV. We do it on a daily basis. If you like Cardinals content, you're in the right place. Smash that subscribe button if you're here on YouTube. Click like on this video as well and drop your comments below with what you think about the new and improved Steven Matz for your St. Louis Cardinals. Make sure to subscribe to Be Shaved Daily on Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well. If you'd like audio-only versions of the show, technically this is audio-only on YouTube as well, but there's a pretty picture there. So it's even better. Appreciate you guys for being with me here tonight. If you missed yesterday's episode talking Adam Wainwright and whether he's going to get to win number 200, more of a solemn take on the way things have gone for that veteran Cardinals pitcher. But I think the tone is going to be a lot lighter when it comes to another Cardinals veteran, Steven Matz, who has really turned things around since being reinserted back into the rotation. We'll take you back into what it's been like for Steven Matz so far on this journey in 2023. He began the year 0-6, did not get a single victory in his first stint in the starting rotation, which lasted 10 starts before the Cardinals pulled the plug on that. His ERA was at 5.72, which was actually down from where it was in April, but this was May 24th. It was that game at Cincinnati where he gave up six runs, 11 hits, just not a good outing only could get through four innings, and after that, they moved him to the bullpen. He picked up another loss there in about six weeks of, of bullpen action. was in the bullpen for all of June, beginning of July, and then they moved him back into the rotation, basically out of necessity in early July. But it was like something had clicked for him at that point, and you remember that first start he had out there in Chicago against the White Sox? Looked pretty solid. Cardinals won the game. He didn't get the win, still was looking for that first win. Eventually, that came a few weeks later, another outing in Chicago, and uh, the Cardinals got the win at Wrigley to get him off the schneid. But Steven Matz has been pitching really, really well for the most part since coming back into the rotation. It's been six starts now. Had the one outing where they hosted the Nationals, gave up four runs, and was not able to pitch through the fifth. But otherwise, 
The line scores from Steven Matz, five and a third, no earned runs, five innings, one run, six innings, no runs, six innings, no runs, and then tonight, six innings and one earned run, striking out six. He's had some pretty good strikeout numbers for the most part outside of uh, last outing, July 30th, when the Cardinals hosted the Cubs. That was a 3 nothing win for whatever reason that day. Didn't have the strikeouts cooking and, and only had a couple of them in that game. But Matt's tonight had the strikeouts, got the ability to make pitches when he needed it, and was able to get through six tonight as the Cardinals offense paced it. Uh, how different does this feel than a lot of the Steven Matt starts from early in the year where he might give up a few runs, a crooked number, in the first or second inning? And then it was like the Cardinals offense just didn't have what it what it took to kind of hang in there is the way it seemed. You get down 4 nothing, and it's like, oh boy, here we go again. And there was no here we go again mentality. Honestly, Saturday at Bush Stadium, easiest win the Cardinals have had all year. It was an absolute breeze. And it felt like there was some conviction for these guys and some confidence in what they were doing. Offense looked really good. I think they come up with 11 hits up and down the lineup. Guys are making things happen offensively. Every single player in the starting nine today at least reached base one time or more. And it was just Carlson and Newt Barr who were 8-9 and nine in the order today that did not get base hits, but they both reached base via walk. Carlson had a sacrifice fly as well. And everybody else, 1-7 through seven in the order, had at least one base knock. Cardinals with 11 hits, 4 walks. They score in four different innings. They get just one home run, Tyler O'Neill hitting his fifth of the year. But a couple of doubles by Edmund and Contreras. Tommy also with a triple. Really great day for Tommy Edmund going 3-5 for five from the top of the order trying to get himself back on in terms of the game offensively. OPS back up to 697 after a little bit of a down spell for him. But it just had a very good pace to it, what the Cardinals were able to do tonight. And I think Steven Matz was really a tone setter for a lot of that for the Cardinals. Six innings, one run, gave up five hits, a couple of walks, but struck out six. ERA now down to 3.91 for the season. Really impressive stuff from Steven Matz. Where does it come from? Like, I think that is the main question that Cardinals fans are going to ask when you think about where he was, which was basically a, a spot where a lot of people just felt he was unpitchable, unstartable at a certain point in late May. And, and the Cardinals ultimately did pull the plug on him in the rotation. And the conversations we had back then, like I can think back to those times and remember the way we sort of viewed Steven Matz within the structure of the starting rotation. And it, it just felt like, for a Cardinals team that we thought still needed to have those expectations of turning the corner and trying to make something of this season, it felt like doing that with Steven Matz was an absolute impossibility because there were too many times where he would get you down early and Ollie Marmol pushes back on the idea that a group of major league hitters, a lineup is, you know, these guys got to the big leagues by being just absolute killers and competitive. And even if you're down 4 nothing, 5 nothing early, it's not to say the guys are mailing it in. That's something that Ollie has been pretty clear about uh, pushing back on that narrative. And if you can understand his perspective of, listen, you might think the average person doesn't have the competitiveness to continue to give it their all, even when the chips are down early in a game. But the guys that make it to the big league level, they don't do it without being stone cold killers. And so the competitiveness, the the bar for that is just so much higher than I think we can imagine or generally understand or relate to even as as people who are not professional athletes and so I can respect that and understand that point of view but there is the other side of it which is basically like how often does a team go an entire game and not score four runs or the fifth run to get over the top 
of what was an early 4-0 deficit. It happens plenty of times. For instance, tonight, the Colorado Rockies very much did not score four. Cardinals had a, a series against the Twins where multiple days, Cardinals do not score four in that series earlier this week. In fact, some quick math tells me over the last nine games, the Cardinals have only exceeded four runs twice. So it's not easy, and that's where the Cardinals were kind of being placed on an every fifth day basis when it comes to the Steven Matt starts. It seemed like he would put them behind the eight ball early, and even the most competitive athletes in the world, it's not realistic to expect that you can spot the opponent four runs and your guys are going to find a way to defy the odds and make that comeback happen. So for a Cardinals team back then that we still said, hey, no excuses, this team needs to be finding a way to get to the playoffs, We've obviously since kind of let that go because the the record made us. The record made everybody say, all right, it's not your year. But back then it was like, hey, this isn't acceptable. And Steven Matz was the easy punching bag, the easy guy to go to and say, get him out of here. For all 10 of those starts, he didn't have a single one where he got through six innings. Not once. Between April 4th and May 24th did Steven Matz accomplish a six-inning start. Guess what's happened now, though? He's done it three times in a row. Steven Matz has turned the corner. So what's it come from? What has been the reason that Matz has been able to gain this success and have that little extra edge to his game? The edge was the conversation, the topic of conversation that was had when it came to Steven Matz tonight. But I'll start by putting it in the words of Wilson Contreras, or I guess Wilson could put it in his own words, and I can maybe just give you the opportunity to hear it. Here's Wilson Contreras on the differences that he's seen in Steven Matz. This from inside the Cardinals clubhouse after their 6-2 to two win over the Rockies on Saturday. Uh, he's, getting a, he's getting a head in the count. Uh, first of all, uh, he's attacking the, the, the batters really good. And with two strikes, he's just executing pitches. He's not making no mistakes uh, with any of his pitches. That's, uh, that's something that he's been doing since he got back into the rotation. That's why he's been so good. I always mentioned a couple times that he's pitching with an edge. He believes in his stuff more now. Do you see that more yes, now? Yes, you can tell. And you can mm-hmm. tell his body language is way different. You can see that he's going right after batter. He, don't, he doesn't care who's, who's batting. And, uh, he just believes in himself, believes in his fastball, and his changeup, and he's breaking ball. And, uh, I think he's, he's been one of the, the best started um, since, he's back, since he's back in the rotation. There's Cardinals catcher Wilson Contreras after Saturday's win over the Rockies talking about his starter, Steven Matz, from Saturday night. Wilson a little bit soft-spoken, so hopefully the audio came through clear enough there. But Wilson talking about, very clearly, you can see a difference in the body language of Steven Matz ever since he's returned to the rotation. And Steven talked about himself, how that's something that maybe he started to develop, that edge, getting that back, came from his demotion, honestly, and the desire and the drive that he had within himself to try and get back out there into the rotation, a spot that he's had for his entire career, has been a starter, was signed to be a starter. Remember, the Cardinals gave him that four-year, $44 million contract prior to the lockout going into effect at the tail end of 2021, ahead of the 2022 season. Last year was his first year with the Cardinals. Cardinals signed him to that deal, wanting to get him locked up before having to deal with the fallout of whatever the lockout and then the end to the lockout could bring when it came to the free agent market, the Cardinals wanted to make sure they had this guy on lock and didn't have to worry about it. He had the season last year where he started off really slowly, and then just as it seemed like he was starting to turn that corner, injured the leg, was out for a good bulk of the season, and when he returned, it was just as a relief pitcher 
toward the end of the year because they didn't really have time to build him back up into a starter's workload. And that was that for Steven Matz in 2022. And this year, maybe not a completely regular offseason, the fact that he had just come off of that uh, pretty gruesome injury and was trying to get back for the tail end of the 2022 campaign. And he goes into the offseason. You have a, a catcher change. You have a lot going on with the new rule changes. And I thought it was interesting, too, something Wilson Contreras mentioned tonight. Uh, I won't play the clip of it. But he actually talked about the clock being a factor for Steven Matz and something that maybe was an adjustment period for him. This is just in the opinion of Wilson Contreras. But he said he thinks that was something that was a big obstacle for Steven Matz to maybe get over early in the season. And it seems that at this point, he has done so. And I don't know if it was the trip to the bullpen that allowed that element of his game to maybe lock in a little bit better. Uh, we talked to Wilson after we talked to Steven tonight. And so maybe that'll be something that we can ask Steven Matz about uh, in future days as he can kind of reflect upon the way things were for him early in the year and in the way that they are now. But that was kind of the main topic of conversation when it came to Steven Matz on Saturday night. So now that you've heard from Wilson Contreras talking about Steven Matz locking in that edge and, and showing just a different conviction and, and body language being a difference that has been very favorable for Steven Matz since we've seen this uh, resurgence out of him, let's hear it from Steven Matz himself talking about the hard stuff, right? The questions about, hey, we all know how it looked before. What's been different to allow you to find the success? We got into it a little bit tonight with Steven Matz. On a roll since being inserted into the starting rotation, was tonight just a continuation of that? Yeah, it was. I think pitching with confidence is a big thing. Um, you know, having conviction in your pitches. Um, you know, Willie called a great game. He made some in-game adjustments. Um, you know, that he recognized, and so it was, a, it was a good win. Ollie says you're also pitching with more of an edge. Do you mm -hmm. see that too? Yeah, I think so. That was something I kind of maybe got in the bullpen when I was was out there, you know, coming in, feeling like I wanted to come back starting, pitching with an edge like I belong there, and I think that was something I was able to carry in. You heard Jim Hayes there asking Stephen Matz about his reinsertion into the rotation and what's been different for him during that stretch, also mentioning the fact that Ollie Marmel said he's pitching with an edge, has seen that different little level from Stephen Matz, that extra gear from Stephen Matz, and Matz seemed like it's something that he agrees with, that like I had mentioned before, him wanting to get that spot back in the rotation somewhere that he's been his entire career is maybe something that he developed a little bit in the bullpen and has really been able to hone in and lock in on as he's returned now to the rotation. You've seen Cardinals win five of six starts by Steven Matz. His record is 3-0. and He's gone three consecutive games now with at least six innings pitched. And over his last 18 innings, just one earned run, the one that he gave up tonight. Prior two outings were both six with a goose egg. And you look over his past four starts, which spans 23 innings. He's allowed just two earned runs, which is an ERA of 0 0.78. Steven Matz is pitching like an ace right now for the Cardinals. You might say, well, he's not really getting incredibly deep into games. But the way I looked at it is like Steven Matz has become the mortal opposite of what he really had been in the early portion of the season in terms of the, the role that he plays in this rotation. I asked Steven Matz tonight, what does it feel like right now to be kind of a steadying presence right now for this rotation? Because when you look at what he's been able to do over the last four outings in particular, but you could even go through all six and say the first one he had was five and a third, no runs. He had a little bit of a hiccup thereafter, four innings, gave up four runs. But beyond that, you're going at least five. And in three consecutive games, he's gone six. And in all of those games, he's allowed one or fewer runs. 
if you go six outings and in five of the six you give up one or fewer runs, that's been what Steven Matz has done at this point. And you talk about six starts since returning to the rotation. That's a month's worth of outings for a starting pitcher. And for a month, he's really been one of the Cardinals' most consistent starters. And you talk about the turbulence that the rotation has experienced as well, not only with the relative poor performances from other guys, you know, Wainwright starting on the injured list, and then guys like Woodford and Libertor struggling to fill in, and then Wainwright coming back and still not really having his performance up to par. And then the guys that are performing, like Jordan Montgomery, Jack Flaherty, they end up getting traded. Like the, It has been a very turbulent rotation for the Cardinals this season. And I think it's reasonable at this point to describe Steven Matz as kind of a, a stabilizing force for that group. It's not something that I ever would have imagined saying in late May when the Cardinals were bumping him back to the bullpen, but he has really turned himself into that. And when you look at his career... I guess like it's really easy to have that recency bias and to look down on a guy and to write somebody off because of a, a you know a couple of months of a bad performance or whatever. Because Steven Matz was really, really struggling. And because we kind of had in our minds of what he was last year, I think it was very easy to dismiss this guy. And a lot of us did it. I certainly did to an extent on this podcast where I said, look, there comes a point where you know what Steven Matz is. You have to look at the sample size of what he has been since coming to the St. Louis Cardinals. And we went through all of it and said, here's how many outings he's had of at least six innings. I think it happened maybe twice in 20 starts or whatever it was, like 10 last year, 10 this year. And the first 10 I had mentioned, not one of them, he got through six innings. And so if you were the Cardinals, what's the unicorn that you're chasing after? If you've never seen Steven Matz get you a deep, positive outing of like six plus seven innings, maybe even a little more than that. If you've never seen it, what's to make you believe that this is a guy that is capable capable of doing that at this point in his career at age 32? Probably was the, the conclusion that we drew. Yeah, it's just not what he's going to be for you. And that's just the reality of it. But at age 30 in 2021, he had a really good season with the Blue Jays, started 29 games, had a 3.82 ERA and threw 150 innings. Was a really solid guy, averaged nearly a strikeout per inning. That's what the Cardinals signed him off of, right? Prior to that, it was there was some turbulence in the career of Steven Matz. 2020 was a complete bust for him, had an ERA in year 10, but hardly pitched, and everybody kind of was dealing with some of that with the COVID year. 2019 had a 4-2-1 ERA, though. 2018, 3-9-7. Like, the Cardinals were looking for that guy. Give you 30 starts, ERA around 4, 150 to 160 innings. He had shown a couple of years of consistency with the Mets in 2018 and 2019 where it's like, that's the version. If he's healthy and you get that, he's your number four starter and you can lock him in for $11 million for the next four years. Like that is something that it's worth something to the Cardinals to have that steadying presence. He doesn't have to be your ace. He doesn't even have to be in the top half of your rotation. But if he's that 397, 421, 391 which is the ERA that now Steven Matz possesses after tonight. Yeah, he's got the ERA down below four for the season. And to think about where he was in April and May, to think that's a real number is kind of remarkable. He's up to 99 innings pitched on the season as well. Certainly well within range to get to that 150-160 mark. And if he does it with an ERA below four, that's what the Cardinals signed him to be. But we, we, I think we kind of got it in our heads that this guy, okay, we know who Steven Matz is. We've seen enough. And for a while, it certainly seemed that way. But 
something about being able to refocus himself out in the bullpen, as he mentioned, is where he redeveloped and, and found that edge again. Now he's pitching differently. So let's get into the nitty-gritty on like what's going on with his pitches to make Steven Matz more successful again. You might not look it, but this is a guy, first of all, left-handed pitcher who throws mid-90s. That right there is something that can make a guy successful. When we talk about Matthew Libertor and the raw potential of what he could bring, it's like when he's throwing 95-96, that means something from the left side. He averaged 92.9 on his fastball in the last outing, did Libertor, and so that's where I kind of pushed back on the notion where Ollie Marmel said, eh, velocity was fine, and, and Ollie was saying that right after a start. Maybe he digs into the numbers a little bit more and, and sees it differently. I think Matthew Libertor is a guy that needs to be 95-96 if he's going to uh, and locate the 95 as well. But if the Cardinals are going to get the most out of him, that's what they need. Steven Matz is kind of the blueprint for what that can look like as well. Tonight, Matz was kind of sitting 95-96 pretty regularly there in the first inning. Sat 94-95 to 95 most of the rest of the night, and that'll certainly play. When you talk about the velocity for Steven Matz and the fastball and being able to put it where he wants it, move it around, that is the beginning and the end, I think, for what can unlock the rest of his potential for success. And it's something that Steven Matz talked about himself tonight. After the Cardinals 6-2 win over the Rockies, here's a little more from Steven Matz. You had 15 swing and miss tonight. What, what do you think the reasons? You're getting a lot more swing and miss lately. One of the reasons is that uh, changeup? Yeah, I think, I think everything plays off my fastball. And I think my fastball makes um, everything better. So, you know, moving the fastball around and then keeping the changeup where it needs to be down. And, um, you know, I had some, do some good curveballs today as well. So, uh, you know, I think ultimately everything played off my fastball, being aggressive with that. Let me tell you how frustrated you were early in the season. What's what's the biggest difference? Like when you sit back and analyze the first half as opposed to now? Um, it's hard to put my finger on one thing. You know, um, I think, you know, I made a big, big pitch tonight. Uh, bases loaded. Uh, you know, really three big pitches, three good changes in a row. Um, you know, that could have snowballed for me earlier in the year. So I think just uh, pitching with confidence and making those pitches when they count, you know, that was, that was big. There was John Denton of MLB.com with a couple of good questions for Steven Matz asking about the swing and miss, which has been more of a factor in his game. I mentioned the six strikeouts, and that's three of his last four outings in which Steven Matz has had at least six strikeouts, or not at least. It's been exactly six in the times that he's done it. But that's kind of a change from, I think, where we saw him earlier in the season where the swing and miss opportunities were maybe more few and far between. And he talks about the fastball being the beginning and the end for what he's looking to do on that front. Moving it around, it sets everything else up. The change-ups were really good tonight, he felt, and a couple of few good curveballs as well. And that led to the question about, well, what is different? That's kind of, I think, what everybody would like to know because it would also be nice to know if it's sustainable, right? That's going to be the bottom line when it comes to the 2024 rotation and how much the Cardinals can count on Steven Matz. Like, I think he's going to be in that rotation. We talked about the the why. It's the money. He's under contract for 2024 and 2025. They're paying him, and they're paying Miles Michaelis, and those are the only two guys that are really penciled in the rotation in terms of contract. And the Cardinals are going to have to go out and fill other spots, so you're not exactly in a, a luxury of being able to look at a guy that you're paying $11 million to on an average annual value and say, yeah, we're going to we're gonna stick you in the bullpen and, and we're going to go out and fill your rotation spot too. That's not how it's going to work. It's hard enough to fill three rotation spots in an offseason, and I am skeptical that the Cardinals are going to be able to do it. I know that they say they're going to do it. 
and they're going to come up with a plan that's going to be executed, and then come February, they're going to sell us on what that rotation looks like. They very well could sign a guy to a $100 million contract who is being overpaid, but they say, hey, that's our ace, that's our number one, and is that a guy who's truly going to be bonafide in that role, or are we going to have some questions? That's going to remain to be seen. Uh, is a Miles Michaelis going to be billed as the number two? Well, he could be a two, or he could be more of like a three, mid-rotation guy that's going to depend on his level of performance. And then the Cardinals maybe trade for somebody that could be a middle-of-the-rotation guy, or maybe they sign somebody else to a lesser contract, uh, let's say like a $20 million deal, but shorter term in, in order to kind of find a way to short-term fill that rotation spot until some of the prospects maybe emerge from that front. Like, they're going to have to make these different decisions, but that leaves Steven Matz where it's, okay, if he's a 3.91 ERA right now, he could be a very solid number four or even a passable number three in your rotation if he's performing the way that he has to this point by by improving his numbers and getting getting them back to where they are now. But how sustainable is that going to be necessarily? And so I thought that was a good question by John, and, and I think a hard one, though, for a guy to answer just post game. But Steven gave that example. You heard it where he said, I made a big pitch tonight. And it was in a big situation. He's talking about the fourth inning where the bases were loaded and Elias Montero, of course, the infielder the Cardinals traded in part to the Colorado Rockies for, uh, I say in part, in part for Nolan Arenado. That was the deal. Uh, Austin Gomber was in that trade as well, and he pitches tomorrow for Colorado. Uh, Cardinals go with a bullpen game. Ollie did not know after the game who the starter was going to be, who the first man out of the bullpen was going to be. And I didn't stick around long enough in the clubhouse to ask him. So I have no idea. I'm sure it'll be announced if it hasn't been already. Uh, but the Cardinals taking on Gomber, lefty, they should probably crush him. I'm going to say Notto probably goes deep tomorrow. Anyway, and it's a bullpen game on the Cardinals' side, by the way, because of the suspension for Miles Michaelis. He did exactly what I said he would. He'd pitch one more time, and then he would drop the appeal, take the five-game suspension, and basically it puts the Cardinals on a six-man rotation for the week, and we're wrapping that up now as we see the bullpen game Sunday going to be a little bit intriguing to see what that looks like, but with Andrew Suarez and the job that he did on Friday going four and two-thirds after Wayno's short outing, and then you didn't have to use too much of the bullpen on Saturday. Andre Pallante and Giovanni Gallegos finishing out the game for the Cardinals should have most everybody else available to uh, to have it be all hands on deck for Sunday. And then I think, I guess it'll be Michaelis thereafter, and the Cardinals will continue to roll through the rotation the way that they had been um, without skipping anybody or uh, whatever the case might be. But six-man rotation just means an extra day of rest for everybody because you had to do it that way with Michaelis being uh, being suspended and then dropping the appeal strategically. And so basically he he's suspended for five games. It's up it's up now after tomorrow, after Sunday. And it all it meant was that the Cardinals would have to throw one bullpen game. It doesn't really punish Michaelis. It just punishes the Cardinals. It's kind of a weird concept, but, you know, whatever. I'm not going to beat that dead horse anymore. Although I will say, I do get a kick out of, and I think Blog of Their Own is who pointed this out on Twitter, where she kind of made a parody to say, the people who were absolutely up in arms about Miles Michaelis putting a baseball into the butt of Ian Happ and just said, like, oh my gosh, it's such a terrible thing. He should be banned from baseball. Like, the reactions to that were so over the top. Give me a break. It was not like a dangerous play. It was fine part of the game but then tonight you see the battle royale between Jose Ramirez and Tim Anderson where J-Ram just absolutely decked T.A. after T.A. kind of started the thing dropped the gloves literally dropped his fielding glove and put the Dukes up 
and swung and missed a couple of times. Three strikes, you're out because Jose Ramirez clocked him in the jaw. And I think it's awesome. I If it makes me like a brute or whatever, I don't even care. I love it. I love that these guys are just like going at it, firing off haymakers, standing there at second base. Somehow Elvis and Andrews was in the background of it all, and he was like right there with a the front row seat as well when the uh, Rugnet Odor, Joey Bats bout happened a couple few years ago. Kind of a, a weird coincidence there. But yeah, Timmy Anderson just hit the ground, and, and my take on that is you can't be literally dropping the glove in such an emphatic way, putting your fists up like, let's go and then you get dropped by one punch, I get he got him in the jaw pretty good, but that is not a good look for Tim Anderson. I saw a, a, a screenshot later on where somebody said, Tim Anderson has already deleted this tweet, and it was a tweet for from like 2012 where he said, I'm about to go to sleep. <laughs> and I think that one was probably getting retweeted into oblivion but before Tim Anderson got to his phone and was like, all right, we're putting a stop to this. But uh, the internet has its ways, and the, the tweet was screenshotted, and I think it'll continue to make the rounds. But my whole point in talking about that is, like, if you were going to be so up in arms about Michaelis hitting Ian Happ and just your your delicate sensibilities were, were so very offended, you shouldn't be celebrating Jose Ramirez knocking Tim Anderson to the ground with a punch to the jaw. You probably shouldn't have it both ways, right? Oh, it's dangerous. Somebody could get hurt. The reality is I don't care in either case because it's just kind of what it is. Like, I'm not going to be offended that this punch happened. Like, it was awesome. I don't know. If it makes me a brute, it makes me a brute. But I thought it was pretty freaking cool. And uh, I just think it's the one guy who says, I'm not going to start nothing, but I'll finish it. That was Jose Ramirez. Very bombastic of Tim Anderson to try and, uh, you know, he gets all the attention for starting it. Takes a couple of swings. Ramirez puts him down. Pretty cool. Pretty, pretty cool. Honestly, I think the Cardinals needed to fight like that at some point in like June in order to to kickstart this season. It never did happen. We kept saying, we need a brawl. Let's see a brawl. That's what they need. You know, Nolan Arenado could have like tackled somebody and like bit him or something. Get those psycho eyes going. Like, they needed something, right? They needed somebody to jumpstart this thing. Ah, never happened. I wouldn't want to mess with Arnado in, in one of those either, though. Wilson Contreras, no thank you. Don't want to mess with those guys. But never got to see it. Never got to see it, but I guess it's for the better. Nobody got suspended on the Cardinals. Nothing like that. You did have the moment a couple of weeks ago where the Cubs dugout was laughing at Jack Flaherty for whatever he was saying after the Michael is hit by pitch thing with Hap. Anyway, that was about as high intensity the Cardinals got all year. Didn't have a brawl. I think they needed a good brawl. I'm rambling now. Anyway, I always make my way back eventually to the topic at hand. I was talking about that fourth inning when Steven Matz talked about making a pitch tonight. And then he said, I actually made three good pitches in a row, three big pitches in a row, all change-ups to Montero, below the zone, below the zone, and then he creeps it up a little bit higher in the zone and gets Montero to pop up there to end the bases loaded jam in the fourth inning. And he said, you know, there's a time earlier in the year where that might have snowballed on me. That situation might have gotten out of hand on Steven Matz, whereas this time he had the confidence to bury that change up a couple of times, get Montero to swing twice through it, and then creep it up just a little bit to where it's in the strike zone. The first two were below the zone. Third one, 
Montero still wasn't on top of it the way they needed to. Got underneath it, in fact. Pops it up. Goldschmidt puts it away. Escapes the jam. And then had a little bit of trouble there in the fifth as well. Had a runners on second and third with one out situation. Got the sacrifice fly. You trade the out for the run at that point with the Cardinals uh, having the lead that they did. And Stephen Matt's able to get out of the inning thereafter. So a, a really nice job by him to take a couple of dangerous situations that very easily could have turned into, you know, base hit here, base hit there. That's four runs. Instead, they come up with a grand total of one against Stephen Matt scoring on the sack fly in the fifth. And he's able to then go back out there for a clean sixth inning. Gets to about 100 pitches on the night. Really good stuff from Steven Matz. A, a steadying, stabilizing force for the rotation. I'll play that clip in my question, and we'll hear from Steven Matz for the last time tonight. Then we'll get into a little bit of conversation about the offense. I do want to touch on a couple of guys from the lineup before we get out of here. But here's Steven, Here's my question for Steven Matz and him answering it tonight. Steven, your consistency from start to start seems to be a strength since you returned to the rotation. How much pride do you take in being kind of a dependable, steadying presence for a rotation the way you're able mm-hmm. to perform right now? I think that's huge. I think that's what you want out of a starter. That's something that we all could take pride in. And um, you know, that's what I wanted to do early in the year. So to be able to do that here the second half, it definitely feels good. And there's Cardinals starter Steven Mass for the final time tonight after the 6-2 win that he and the Cardinals put on the Rockies, evening up the series at one apiece. Cardinals have done that a couple of times now. Can they finish the job on Sunday? I think it's going to be the question. Try and gain some positive momentum. In that twin series, he split the first two, but were unable to finish the job. Maybe they'll be able to get it done in the bullpen game on Sunday. Again, against Gomber, nothing on Austin Gomber, but the Cardinals generally can have a lineup that they could put out that can crush a lefty, and so I feel like they should be able to get to him. But it's going to be a task for the bullpen as well because you don't have a starter in this game. They're going to need everybody to be able to get the thing done. And then they do get the off day on Monday, so it should be basically an all-hands-on-deck situation on Sunday for the Redbirds. But before we get out of here on B-Sheaf Daily, which, by the way, let me know what you think on the Stephen Matt stuff. Drop your comment below in the comment section. Make sure you subscribe to this YouTube channel. Brendan Schaefer, St. Louis Cardinals writer. If you enjoy Cardinals content, I'm bringing it to you every day. And this YouTube channel is free. If you would like to support me on another level, though, patreon.com slash bshafer12. I will throw the Patreon link and uh, in the description to this video if that's something that you are interested in checking out further. But I do want to see you guys get those thoughts in on Stephen Matt's how confident are you feeling when it comes to the 2024 rotation with what you're seeing from Steven Matz now? You think he can be a legit part of that, or is there always the potential to see him backslide? Because I'm starting to kind of say maybe we counted Steven Matz out a little bit too early. Not to say that he wasn't pitching very poorly. He was, but the capability was within him evidently to bring it back, and he's brought it back full circle and looks pretty good. Looks like, he again, he's not dominant, But a 0.780 ERA is kind of dominant over his past four starts. But I think he could be that guy that give you between five and six innings. Rarely is he going to go beyond that. He's not going to be a guy that's going to get through seven all the time because he's going to give up his couple few hits. He's going to walk a couple of guys, maybe work some deeper counts because he's going for those strikeouts. But I think Steven Matz can be like if he's your number four next year, I think that can be a sign of a really strong rotation if Michaelis is your three. But that's the thing. Can you go out in free agency and realistically get a one and a two in the same offseason? It's like the Cardinals don't get to pick who's out there in free agency. They just get to pick the fact that this is the year they need to sign multiple guys. So can they find guys that fit their scheme, fit what they're looking for, and then also want to be in St. Louis and will agree to play here for the amount of money the Cardinals will agree to pay them? 
could be kind of interesting to see play out. But Steven Matz could definitely be a wild card in that because if he's averaging five and a half innings per start from the number four spot in your rotation, but his ERA is like 3.9 like it is right now or even like closer to the 0.78 that it's been the last four starts, like if he's an ERA of 3.2 and he gives you just 160 innings, like what does that do for the Cardinals if they can slot in the rest of their rotation appropriately ahead of him? Could be very interesting. So drop your comments below and let me know what you think as it pertains to Steven Matz. But I want to get a couple thoughts in here on the offense from Saturday night. How about Tommy Edmond going into the leadoff spot for the Cardinals? Three for five, doing it against the lefty, doing it against the righty out of the bullpen. Had a triple, had a double. I would love to see more from Tommy Edmond like this. And obviously every time that a lefty starts against the Cardinals, Edmond ends up being a factor, it seems. But a couple of RBIs tonight, a three for five game. But the 241 average and the 697 OPS, like that is a little lower than I think we would expect to see from Tommy. And it would be nice for him to be able to kind of settle into a more consistent rhythm offensively as he gets going. Last seven games, he's uh, six for his last 20, so he's hitting 300. But over the last 15 games, which kind of, I, I think, partially goes into what he was doing before coming off the IL, 240, 250, 320, the slash line there. So not as robust. But it seems like he's starting to come around, and maybe that's something the Cardinals can get from him more consistently, which would be great, uh, whether it's lefty or righty, for him to be that guy. Because he's going to play a lot of shortstop right now, especially until Mason Wynn gets here later in August. Which, by the way, that's another video on the YouTube channel. If you missed the Mason Wynn video, go find it. It's on my channel, youtube.com slash for 12 Click on the one that has Mason Wynn in the picture. You'll be able to find it. But until that happens, Tommy Edmonds is going to play a lot of shortstop for the Cardinals. So getting his back going the way that it has been the last few games, that would be great. And then there's Tyler O'Neill who hit the only home run for the Cardinals from Saturday's game. Other guys did well. Wilson Contreras, a couple of hits, including a, a RBI double, bases clearing double, I should say. Uh, Jerickson Profar, the left fielder for the Rockies, had no idea what to do with this ball. He is a bad left fielder. But it was a good rip by Contreras, got all the way to the warning track, and so he earned the double there. But I wanted to mention Tyler O'Neill. Because when he came off the injured list on July 20th, the OPS for Tyler was 620. And now it's 745. So have we gotten to the point yet where we're like, all right, Cardinals maybe made the right decision, not trading him for pennies on the dollar for whatever they could get for him just to kind of clear a spot. Remember, kind of like with Steven Matz, there was a point this year where I think just about everybody universally was out on Tyler O'Neill. People were just tired of, hearing him be on the injured list and there was no timeline for return. It seemed kind of fishy. Like, why is the back still reality is sometimes even when a narrative can seem nice and tidy, like, all right, Cardinals can write this guy off because he can never stay healthy. Maybe there were reasons that the back just was not responding the way that he wanted to see it respond. And now he's back and healthy. And you know what? That was probably a period of time for him and his career and his season and his life. That was really frustrating too. Like it wasn't just Cardinals fans being frustrated by Tyler O'Neill. I didn't think he probably loved the situation either. Now he's back healthy and producing the way that he can. He's making plays defensively almost on a nightly basis. He's got three home runs. Uh, three of his five on the season have come since returning from the IL on this current stint. And the OPS has gone up by 125 points in basically two and a half weeks. So what do you think about where Tyler O'Neill is right now? Because again... If you're talking about forming out a 2024 lineup, if you put Tyler O'Neill as a guy who's going to OPS 600 and say, yeah, he's going to play left field, he's going to OPS 600 because he's just not going to be consistent. 
not very exciting. If you talk about a guy that can OPS 890 like he did in 2021, or I think it was more like 912 when he was an MVP candidate that year, that's humongous because he doesn't even need to be your number three or number four or number five or even your number six hitter in the lineup. Like you could have Tyler O'Neill in the bottom third of a batting order and he could end up being one of the league's best hitters if he's healthy. So I don't really know. I'm not like making any sort of rash decisions about this at this point with Tyler O'Neill. but where are you Cardinals fans? Because from where I sit, I go, all right, reasonable to let the Cardinals just kind of watch this play out. Let's see what T.O. does the rest of the way. Don't stick his butt in center field again. Like, like put him where he can be successful. Keep him in left field. But you can kind of see the makings of a player who can be super impactful, right? And nobody ever questioned that with Tyler O'Neill. But when he's on the injured list for as long as he was, it was easy to kind of forget about the guy. Now he is making it very difficult to forget about him. And the Cardinals will... Again, if you see this for the next two months, I'm telling you, it's going to be really difficult at the end of that season to go, all right, it's November. Tyler O'Neill finished with 22 home runs and hit 17 of them the last two months. Uh, time to trade him for what you can get. Like, that's going to be a very difficult kind of conversation. And then there are guys like Alec Burleson, who is really starting to come on strong. And it was kind of funny this morning in Ollie Marmel's office, I decided to ask about Burleson because he's a guy that I feel like and maybe this will be a better conversation for when we have some more time to talk about it rather than toward the end of an episode. But I feel like with Alec Burleson, he was force-fed into the lineup early a lot. And because there were so many other guys that I felt like weren't getting opportunities, like Dylan Carlson, like Jordan Walker when he gets sent to Memphis, it was very strange the way that they continued to force Burleson. But I also think that I have now come around to the other side of that where it's like Burleson doesn't strike out. He's a really good contact hitter, and you're starting to see some power from him as well. And if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. So you get if you're going to say Dylan Carlson needs opportunities, if he's going to be expected to thrive, I think there's a hit tool when it comes to Alec Burleson that you could you could make the case, and it's like, hey, listen, if this guy doesn't get the opportunities that Ollie and the Cardinals were trying to give him early on, and now he's he's trying to find ways again to do it, it's going to be difficult to to see through what Alec Burleson could be offensively, but. I think there is, there's a world that we're living in, and it's a world called Alec Burleson is an above-average MLB hitter, and the Cardinals just are, are trying to, under some very tough circumstances for a manager, because they've got so many guys that they want to play in the outfield, and they've got a first baseman named Paul Goldschmidt who you know wants to play the field and is a good defensive first baseman. So Burleson's just, he's on the wrong roster to really be able to fully maximize himself, but that doesn't mean the Cardinals should just trade him either, because maybe he ends up just being a dude and you know, left-handed, really good hitters are a valuable thing to have in Major League Baseball nowadays and every day. So, I don't know. You've got that thrown into the Tyler O'Neill conversation. You've got Jordan Walker trying to learn outfield thrown into the, the conversation. New bars, new parting, all of the place and and looks really good. Dylan, you know, I, you know I'm a Dylan Carlson guy, but it, it more and more is starting to feel like it's not going to happen here in St. Louis just because of the impediments to playing time on a regular basis. And like that sort of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. I think too, when you recognize that maybe it's not going to be your, your opportunity to just go out there and grow and develop every day, which is a hard thing to do in an organization that's got five outfielders that they want to play at a time. You know, it's just going to be tricky. Dylan's got to make the most of his opportunities. That's, that's the same task before everybody in this grouping uh, and, and credit to him, no base hit tonight, but had an RBI with a sack fly, reached base via walk, so doing some good things as well. 
But what's it going to look like for any of these guys? I, I really don't know. I think it's going to be the second most interesting conversation of the offseason. The first, of course, being the rotation, which I think Steven Matz, believe it or not, has a chance to stabilize in a very meaningful way. But let me know anything you want to comment upon. Put it down there in the YouTube comments section, youtube.com slash at bshafer12. Smash that subscribe button before you get out of here. Give the video a like. Appreciate you guys so much for listening, as you always do. And as I always do, appreciate you guys uh, for being here. So thank you guys so much. That's going to do it, though, for this edition of the show. And we'll talk to you next time on B-Shafe Daily. Peace.